We're going to take a bit of a break from 1 John because we have to. Uh, We are, as a church, positioning ourselves to uh, prepare for a time of 21 days of fasting and prayer for those who choose to participate in that. I do have the material for that that we will hand out uh, next week, next Sunday, because we will start on the 2nd. Uh, the last Sunday will be the 23rd, and uh, we have some things we're going to be doing in that. It's going to be really different this year. I'll talk about some of it next week, but just so you know, we are preparing our hearts to seek the Lord. And because it's Christmas, I've kind of compiled it to mean today that when, as we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, we're going to start with preparing our hearts to seek the Lord for Christmas why is that important? I was just up here at the altar with a brother praying and another and a sister and another brother and lots of siblings and the Lord up here today. <laughs> okay. And uh, he said something to the effect that it may be a holiday, but it's certainly not a holy day by many. Um, the word holiday is simply a derivative from saying holy day. We celebrate the birth of Christ every year, and there's much uh, in the way of uh, things like poinsettias and, and garland and sleighs and lights and all that fun stuff, and everyone gives cookies to people who, do we think, do we need another cookie? But they're good, right? And then it and starts the whole cycle over again and makes the, re- the resolution all that more predictable. But... <laughs> We do all this, and, and we talk about how Christ is the reason for the season, and yet we all still complain about being over busy, overstressed, and distracted. Well, the world is not going to back up from that. We're going to have to decide as, as the body of Christ all over the nation and then to the world and, and with respect to that, that, that we are going to be the ones that keep Christmas as what it should be. So... We know that Christmas is about the fact that Christ came into the world, that God sent his son into the world, uh, that the world through him might be saved. And so Christ is, his first coming is what Christmas is about. And but of course, you know, that that gift that we unwrap there at Christmas is not really realized until we get to Easter, because it's, it's a full package, if you will, all with one bow. And uh, if, if there were no resurrection, Christmas would have been much. And, of course, there would be no resurrection if Christmas hadn't happened in the first place. So when we talk about preparing our hearts to seek the Lord, some of you may be asking, well, why? Why? I mean, what's the deal? Look around you, if you will. Literally today, with all the statistics that I have been looking at in reference to my uh, project and intervention for school on the state of holiness in the church, there isn't much left in, a, in the way of margin that really differentiates the, quote, born again from the lost in the world, statistically speaking. Everything from manner of life to even beliefs about Christ. In fact, a LifeWay study was recently done and I read from my, my friend He's a pastor, sends me this stuff and says, Merry Christmas. But it, it, it's a study that came out, and I, I want to say something like uh, 
it's up of Christians no longer believe that Jesus was truly virgin born, that he was divine. And as I read through the minutiae of that article, you get the idea that I'm not even too sure that they would even say that Jesus is actually necessary to the worship of God. So clearly the church is sick. Christianity is sick. It's, in, it's worse than anemic. It's rusty. So what do people do? And you can go back and you can look at the, at the nation of Israel and you can see how God led them through patterns of realizing their sin and taking the necessary steps to repent of that sin and that laziness of heart and that idolatry of spirit and bringing them back to be before him in holiness and purity and devotion, singular devotion. And that's what they had to do. I want to bring us to this, to the attention of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. If you have your Bibles and just want to remind you, um, this isn't in any way to, to beat on you, maybe a little, um, if you come to church, you should always have a Bible. You wouldn't go to the gun range without a pistol or a rifle. You say, what are we shooting at? We're shooting at ourselves today. Jeremiah chapter 29, specifically verse 13, but I want to get some background here, beginning in verse 12, or verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Jeremiah is trying to reassure the nation of Israel, Judah, of their restoration. They have been marched off into deportation to Babylon. In other words, they reached the legal limit of sin and God was good at His word and the land vomited them out and they found themselves in bondage. And you got to wonder sometimes, what does a freedom-loving people do with freedom when all they'd use it for is vice and perversion and self-interest? I think that's the reason why we're losing it so much today. But as this nation is, is reeling from the reality that, wow, God really is good at His Word to discipline His people, we read in verse 10, he says, Thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, and here's what you need to know. God said they would be marched off to Babylon for 70 years. And he even told them before these verses to get comfortable there. Plant vineyards, build houses, because this is where you're going to be. You wouldn't, you wouldn't behave in your own land, and this is remedial and it's judgment, and it has to happen. But God is a merciful, kind, and just judge. Because he says this, after, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Say what? Because God is also, as I said, he's always true to his word. 
And he always keeps his promises. He never was going to quit the nation. Now they may quit him, but he wasn't going to quit them. And you may be struggling in your walk with God right now. You may genuinely be born again, but you've allowed the world to seduce you away. And you've allowed the world to dictate the thoughts of your mind, your entertainment, your music choices, and the way you interact with people. And you may have gotten sideways. You're off kilter, if you will. But because you're God's child, He's going to correct you. And it may be like a firm hand, but it's a loving hand. And he's, so along those same lines, he says here in verse 11, and this is just glorious. I, he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting here. The verse I want to focus in on here is, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord, the first thing you have to answer yourself is, or ask yourself is, am I giving my all to seek God every day because He's God and I need Him? Because he's God and he's worthy. Do you ever wonder where the word worship came from? You really need to think of it more this way. Worth-ship. Worth-ship. One who is worthy, worth worshiping. We owe him. We should desire to give to him the worship of our life. By seeking him. With our whole heart, every day. He says, when you search for me with all your heart, I'll be found by you, says the Lord. And then he says this promise, I will bring you back from your captivity. Sin is, I will never forget this as long as I live. I heard it in the tractor years ago and it just stuck. But sin will take you farther than you want to go, right? keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. You don't decide when to quit it. God comes in His mercy and He breaks you down if you're His. Now, if you're not, you won't care and you'll go headlong into it and it won't bother you a bit and it'll consume you. A rusty shovel simply turns into that which is eating it away, rust. It ceases being a shovel one day and only becomes rust. That's all it is. God's people, though, are eternal. Saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God will restore His his waving people. This is a promise of God to Israel in their deportation to Babylon. This is a promise of God in spite of them, I'll have you notice, but made good by him. You say, what? Yeah. The condition is seeking him with the whole heart. The funny thing about it, you have to go back to Jeremiah chapter 24 to see that he meets that condition for his own people. 
This is, this is the immensity of God's grace, if you will. Look, look here in Jeremiah 24, verse 7. It says, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You see in the beginning of this verse is, God says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. I will be their God, for they shall return to me. If you're in Christ, and you may have stumbled all over the place, and it's very possible, because I've done it. <laughs> I mean, we, we as Christians do that. But as I, as I said in, in, our, in our new members class, and I was thinking about it this week, if we were all airplanes that know Jesus, if you're born again, think of yourself as an airplane. You may not be gaining altitude as much as you want, right? Some of those jets, boy, they can just take off and immediately go straight up. Wish it were so. But even if you have, even in the Christian life, you should have a one degree nose up at the very worst. And if you spend that over a, a lifetime, okay, over a lifetime, even in what you would consider to be pitfalls and horrific things, God is compelling you forward towards him. Because you're Him. You, you, you have a different spirit in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He's going to be compelling you towards Him. If you don't know Him though, and you just have a lip service to Christ, then I can promise you, unless God should stir your soul to the reality of your condition, you won't nose up. You won't even care. And you'll be fine to persist in sin and all of those things. But that which in us is of the Spirit. That which is in us is greater than that which is in the world. And though we stumble and though we fall, He calls us back to it. So then, uh, to seek God is to first be prompted by God to do so. It is the word of God given from the heart of God that informs us of who God is and what he desires for us. One of the first places a wayward Christian will find themselves is in the word of God. He will compel you to be in the Bible. He will compel you to go there because it is nourishment for your soul. You cannot be strong in the Lord if you are weak in the word. You just can't. To neglect the word of God is to neglect knowing him. Think about it. I deeply love my wife. But if I never talked to her, I really wouldn't know her that well. And I could say I love her so much. But if I never desired to talk to her, how how well would I know her? So to neglect the word of God is to neglect knowing him. The word of God is there for us to know him and the power for the Christian life. Given through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is what compels us forward. So, seeking God then begins by being in the Word of God, right? By by having a healthy respect and reverence for what the Bible has to say about what God has to say. So, I'm going to tie this in with Christmas here. I always thought it's something, and we're going to end with the shepherds, right? 
they were out in that field. Suddenly there was an angelic host around them. They said, good tidings of great joy, peace on earth, most things. We announced to you Christ is born. And, 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 and they didn't freak out. They were amazed. And they were familiar with the story. They were familiar with that happening. And it just caused me to think, how were they so familiar with it? Well, they were, they were Jews. They were uh, sons of Abraham. And they knew the covenant of promise. And as such, they would know the word of God by being faithful because, as you will know back when we have uh, the Bible to tell us how strict God uh, and, 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 and fierce God made his word to be uh, hung in their hearts and consulted all the time for everything, how, center, how much of a centerpiece it was for the home. You should put it as fauntlets between your eyes and wrap it around your arms. I mean, and they actually kind of have, I guess, these straps that in Israel where the men will go up and pray and they'll have it, little scriptures, I think, tucked into boxes because they are, that's how center the Word of God is to them as Orthodox Jews. And so they would be familiar. So I'm thinking, well, how are they so familiar with this event? Their shepherds are out in the field. Here's where I, th- I mean, we can go back to Adam and Eve and we can talk about what happened when, when uh, God dealt with the, the, the fall. And, and, and we have the beginning of the, the prophecy of, of the Christ or the Messiah coming, but I, I want to start with Moses. This is, uh, how do we seek God for Christmas? So just bring this in with the word of God. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 19, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. Now Moses is speaking to them. He says, from your brethren, him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. Now before I go on, I want to remind you, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, same thing. God appeared on the mountain, and they thought that was going to be a pretty cool meeting up until they saw him. And then the blackness, and the fire, and the thunderings, and the smoke, it went up like a, it was like a furnace. And, and uh, of course, you know, God said, you can only go so far. Or you die, you are an animal. And they were so scared, they ran back and said, Moses, you go talk to him. <laughs> uh, we fail to get the severity of that, I really think, because we think, well, we have Jesus, and we do, and we don't have to be that fearful of God, and you're wrong. Because you should read about how Jesus looks when he comes again. Now, now he's very God of very God. He hasn't changed He's still fierce, just like that. So Moses is reminding him of that. And God said, yes, it is good. A prophet like you. He goes, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not keep my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. And is that not true when we reject Christ? Is that not true when we discount the fact of what Christmas means and the fact of God giving his final word to man as Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 talk about? God, Jesus is God's final word to man on the subject, 
the great subject of redemption. You cannot improve upon it. You cannot expand it. It is what it is. And he holds it. And they started thinking, this is where this started again. What's this going to look like? How is this going to be? And of course, if you read through, what a contrary people. Then we pick up with something unusual. I've been reading through. And we get into Numbers 24, 17 by a pagan prophet named Balaam. Of all of the prophecies about Jesus, this is probably by far in the Old Testament one of the most descriptive. So Balaam, when called on by Balak to curse curse God's people, he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open, and at least he's honest because that's what you all will do. We all will do that if we were to be before the Lord God. That's why in revival, when true biblical revival comes down on God's people, you will find a lot of people on the floor. Not making a big ruckus. There's no circling the gates and climbing up poles and all that's just man's ways of trying to compensate in the flesh what only can be done by the Spirit. But they're literally quiet in reverential awe, genuinely, genuine, gen, generally on the floor. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And then, of course, he goes on and says, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. But right here is, is a very awesome description of what we see with Jesus and where he was born and what Isaiah has to say about him. Going to Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Sometimes you might run that. He'll be a wonderful counselor. His name is Wonderful. Why do you ask me my name, seeing that it is Wonderful? That's in the scripture somewhere, Sharon. (laughs) Wonderful. Counselor. He shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, hence back to the scepter, uh, that of complete authority and rule, the star. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and even forever. Now, do you know where forever goes? It goes forever, but it's right now too. Those folks in governments all over the world can do all they want to do. But my Bible says that God rules over the sons of men. And he overrules the sons of men. And he rules by decree. It was the same then and it's the same now. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So in, in the dynamic of, of that Jewish nation, there, this talk of this Messiah becomes more pronounced as the years go on. Revelation is given a little bit more by God's prophets. 
And then we get to Daniel. And a lot of people talk about this for all of the eschatological implications, but I just want to use it because, well, it talks about the Messiah. And they, I mean, you had, they had to know with little, with, without any doubt that there's going to be a Messiah coming. So let's see, 9, 24, and 25, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again in the wall. And I just bring it to your attention to say this, that in the consciousness of the nation of Israel, they had a high hope, and Daniel just reiterates it even more, of this Messiah that's to come. Why do you think they wanted to take Jesus and make him a king? Why were they so eager to have him overthrow the Romans and the occupiers of the land? But God had an even bigger picture, a bigger view in mind, and generally, genuinely often does. Fifth, we have Micah. Micah 5.2. Now this gets even more pointed, doesn't it? You, you have a nation, while some of them may not be in doing so good, and as a nation, they, they, certainly, they certainly stumbled. But there's a lot of them seeking God. And they're knowing the word of God. And they're paying attention to the prophets of God. And Micah speaks, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah. This is where David grew up. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one. Now notice the name, the one. Well, who's the one? The Messiah, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth, now notice this, are from old, from everlasting. That's why First John says, as we go through it, the false teachers would try to make Jesus less than what he was. But Jesus is eternal God. Because it says right here, the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Well, now, you know that the shepherds would have been familiar with that. That's a big one for, if you have hope for your Messiah, you're going to know all the stuff that's been said about the Messiah. You would think. Because if you're seeking God, you're going to know what the word of God says, Right? Okay, there's a lady. <laughs> She's gonna. Okay, and she shall stand and feed, or and he shall stand and and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide for now. He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Amen. Jesus said, "Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Rest for your souls. Come and take of me, for my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, the Bible says, he himself is our peace. Okay? 
And so you would, these shepherds are going to know about that. And I just wonder, do we still remember that this is important as we think about Christmas? This is not just some holiday that crept up on the face of Western humanity. This goes back a ways. And it actually happened. Deal with that. We're so used to fantasies and, 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 and video games and movies that create their own version of reality. And, and none of it's real is the, the, the strange thing about it. And then we read the Bible and then they want to say it's all fantasy. And yet you can go there. Well, we get into Matthew now. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, now you remember, Micah, right? In the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, you got these wise men. To me, they've always been an odd bunch in Scripture. Because, you know, they just kind of come out of nowhere. They came from the Babylonian direction of things. And they knew about stars and stuff, right? It's not your typical player, as we read, happening in the Gospels. And you think at first, if someone said, hey, there's some, there's some wise men, astrologer fellas here from Babylon, you'd say, well, don't send them in. <laughs> send them away, weirdos. But there's something about it. They came from the east to Jerusalem, and they asked a question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, remember Balaam, in the east and have come to worship him. They knew about Daniel's prophecies too, being where they were from. They knew what Isaiah had to say. Do you think they had been looking for this? Conjecture might say, well, probably I can guarantee it. If they're recognizing this, they had to have known. And I did a little research on the star. I didn't come away with anything conclusive except this. Astrologers, scientists, you know, the real ones, um, they, they actually have tried to figure out if this star could have been a real star. And, and they have failed in every way to prove it to be a real, actual heavenly body going through the atmosphere was not. I don't believe it was a real star either. What I believe it was, was God himself. And many have posited the fact that it could have been something similar to what we would call the Shekinah glory of God as a flame of, like, you remember when he led Israel out, he was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Because Just they saw it, and they followed it, because light will come to the man that's searching. God is faithful. God is faithful to prompt us to look, right? And then give us what we're looking for when we're looking for him. So there they are from the east, and they've already seen way more than anybody except two to start with saw in Jerusalem proper among the religious elite. Even it was it was even said that they didn't even know the time of their visitation when Jesus came. 
but they came. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. That star led them along the way. If you've come to Christ, you know it. Now you may not have had a star, but you had something greater than that. You had the Holy Spirit himself zeroing in on your soul, compelling you to come to him. Sometimes in the desert, because for the first time you see the cross from a distance. Sometimes on a creek bank, when your friend asks you if you know Jesus. Could be in a church service crowded with people and all you need to do is just raise your hand. Could be any number of ways. But God will ensure that he will empower you to seek him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled because, of course, he just wanted power. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, notice what he asked. He inquired, where's this Christ supposed to be born? Y'all heard of this? (laughs) This is a threat. (laughs) There's a new king. He knew what it meant. There is a promised, prophesied king that I don't want to compete with. And so he asked the religious folk at best. So they said, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And then you go back to Micah. Oh, well, why wouldn't I have been told about this before? Well, I can answer that here. Because they didn't care. They weren't, looking for, they weren't looking for their Messiah anymore. They were looking for their own gain. They were looking down their own nose at their own potential. They were looking at their own lives for their own purposes, to do their own thing. Not much has changed, has it? Among men. Then we get to the shepherds, finally. In verses 15 through 20, specifically, it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem, And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And there's your answer about how you seek God at Christmas. It says so right there. Let us now go and see this thing. What they could have said is let us now go and see him. And they came, notice, notice how they came. They came with haste. When's the last time you came with haste to the throne room to receive grace, mercy? When's the last time you came with passion and desperation in prayer before God Almighty and said, here I am, my life's a mess, it's a wreck, and you can only, only you can fix it. When's the last time? When's the last time your cheeks were wet with tears because you realized the neglect you've given to the one you say you love but talk very little to and think even less of? They came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and they found that babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, 
they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They made widely known the saying. Because you see, once, once you've met Jesus and you've tasted that heavenly gift and, and once you've had that, that new birth in Christ, it's just really hard to contain it. It changes everything. It gives you new, it gives you hope for the first time. I can't help but to be shaken by it. You have to understand something, and I'm just going to take a second here. I was laying in bed last night, and I was thinking, how'd you ever get to Idaho? <laughs> and i got to tell you, it's a sheer miracle. Absolutely. Born in Purcell, Oklahoma, which is nowhere. Went to school at Wayne, my formative years. Lived on the farm without a mama. That's why I'm rough. Was bullied like you can't imagine relentlessly. Beat down. And then that day, that day at 12, Jesus came. One day, and I got to thinking, it was, it was all in about a four to six hour time sequence my regeneration was about that long (laughs) and in in a very powerful and real way the one that baby that you're reading about right there he grew up and he became my God and he came to me back those years ago And he came into that lonely boy's life, that that abused life, that beaten down life, that was just living for the moment as a 12-year-old would, scrounging around. And he gave me all of himself. And he never left. He never has left once. And I've known him. I've known him like I know I'm standing here. And then... You fast forward and he, he suddenly, because that's what revival is made of, the word suddenly, he brought me out of that horrible school and he brought me to another school where the teachers were nice and the kids were nice and a lot of them went to church and I began to breathe and, and then suddenly I was thrust into Marine boot camp and suddenly I had a little New Testament and I actually suddenly started reading it and suddenly I understood it. And, and from that point on, uh, even though that didn't last long, suddenly I was without my own goals because God took that away. And, and then suddenly I didn't know what to do. And then suddenly that young lady right there came in. Suddenly. And then she swept me off my feet. And suddenly I found myself at school and, and then in an apartment that was atrocious. I wouldn't let my dog live in. And, and then... Suddenly, I, I only had my Bible again. It was like you could, if looking back, it's God so orchestrated. And suddenly, because I couldn't afford TV, all I could do was read my Bible. And boom, he just blew it up like an illuminating light in my life. And I understood so much to begin to make notes. And then suddenly, I got a call to preach and did so my first sermon at, at the junior college in front of all these ex-convicts and stuff. 
And suddenly the call to preach was getting more real. And then I got married suddenly. And then suddenly my dad died. And then suddenly I was in charge of all this farm and all this debt that I was buried under that I know how to ever get out of and how could I ever be free from. And there I was trapped. And then suddenly God told me to go to seminary as an undergraduate. And I did. And then suddenly I came to Idaho to preach a sermon on Washington Street at First Southern Baptist Church. And then suddenly... Randy and I are loading up a truck, moving to Hagerman, to Valley Baptist. And then suddenly, we buy a house over here in Northridge Subdivision, and suddenly, this happens. That's how. Didn't plan an inch of it. You know why? You know why it all happened? Because what God decrees happens. Doesn't matter what you're buried under. So, how do we seek God for Christmas? That's the question. By believing what the Word of God says. We let the Word of God reveal who God is and how He came into the world of men. You think about that when you look at the cutesy stuff. You think about that when you gather around that Christmas tree of yours. John one twenty one. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no, because this was John the Baptist they were asking, because even they knew something, someone's got to come. And John says, but I know who it is. I know who's coming. And John 145, Philip and found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. We knew the story because we were seeking God in the Bible. And not only that, really truth and be known, he found us. Because he did. In John six fourteen. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus said, did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. See, they knew. They had a, they had a, they had a Messiah consciousness that this is going to come, and this is, he's going to come, and he's going to happen, and he's happening. He's happening. Because suddenly, he appeared. In John 7, in verse 40 and 41, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. This is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? And, of course, they found out the answer to that. So, what I'm trying to get you all to see is, all of this came from understanding what is written. Christmas isn't just a holiday. It is a holy day. It is a day that God declares, I rule by decree in my time, in my way, and I always keep my word. He said that he would come, and he came. So how do we see God for Christmas? By listening to what God has said in his word. By aligning our focus with his focus. And this is a big one. We have no idea how given we are as sinful people to our own agenda and our ambitions. It is the one area that has besought me so often and beset, I should say, because 
God had to finally take that down to the nub. And thank God he did. By aligning our focus with his focus. Do you know what our focus should be? It's on the screen. Our focus isn't a thing or an idea. It's a, it's a person. Jesus. By setting our hearts to seek the Lord. Starting here. By believing God about what he has said in his word. Believing him. Christmas is not us making our way to God. Rather, Christmas is God making his way to us. That's what Christmas is. Now go and rescue it. Be that distinctly different kind of person that emanates, that effuses the very real presence of the very real Jesus as he lives in your life. Be that guy. Be that gal. Amen? I'm going to ask JT to come. Here's how we can kind of close today, just in some time. First of all, don't overlook the obvious. Christmas is about God rescuing men by sending Himself in the person of Jesus Christ to the earth. Have you unwrapped that gift yet? Do you know Him? Do you know God the Son? Jesus said, No one comes to the Father except through me. And He means it. I would encourage you today, tonight, get alone with God. And like all these people we've read, focus in on his word and say, God, you came to rescue me. Here I am. Here I am. Forgive me. Christian, if you've been lulled to sleep by the lullaby of a very well-off people in a very comfortable society, Look beyond it and realign your life with the standard that God has set forth. Just for a few moments, JT plays. Let's just all kind of do business with God.